What's up, guys? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. A couple weeks into this season, uh, excited to talk a little bit of Dynasty here today. I think it's always good to you know, circle back on where evaluation should be. And we'll talk about rookie picks today, which I think a lot of people early on are already curious about, you know, depending on the state of their teams. And, you know, sometimes right away, you can tell you're just in for a rebuild year. Yeah. And this, this week was um, one of the worst weeks I can ever imagine, uh, ever remember um, or imagine, to be honest, in terms of injuries, Um, just an awful week. And, it, we kind of got like news that continued throughout the week. I mean, it's still kind of happening where, you know, now Zach Moss has been ruled out for the weekend and Blue Jones is banged up. We didn't get uh, DJ Shark last night. So, uh, and we didn't even know about Sutton's uh, ACL tear till Monday. We didn't know about Rager's thumb until Wednesday. So, yeah, it's just been really rough um, losing Barkley, losing CMC for a while, on and on. But obviously that shakes things up a lot in dynasty and i think it does make for some interesting discussions as uh i just got my dynasty rankings updated on establish the run uh you can check those out i've got the change uh log in there from where they were back on the last update which was september 5th and you see guys really jumping all over the place with these injuries and uh early season roles um trying to factor those in but some some guys are moving a lot. Some guys aren't moving as much as you might think. And I wanted to get Mike's thoughts, um, a second set of eyes on these, see what jumps out to you, Mike, about uh, the ranking shifts that I've made. Uh, we can talk through some of these big changes and uh, and big shakeups so far to start the season. Yeah, I love having your ranks as a reference. I know a lot of my leagues are best ball, but they have an in-season trading window. So it's nice to get an idea on where I might go. With my teams uh, right away, you know, with Jonathan, with the Marlon Mack injury and Jonathan Taylor ascending last, you know, the first week he split with Hines quite a bit last week with them in a positive game script. He had the true workhorse role right away. So I uh, see him move up quite a bit in your ranks to number four, which I think makes sense because he's probably the 101 in rookie picks over CH if you knew Marlon Mack was going to be out, you know, and that was obviously a short-term thing. There was no reason to, you know, in my mind, take Taller over CH um, just because you never know with running back shelf lives. Like give me the guy who has the better position right now when they're both in really good spots. But uh, had you known Mac was going to be out, Taylor probably would have been the one-on-one in rookie picks this past off season. And not just out for the season, but Mac is a free agent after the year and coming off an Achilles tear Taylor's in really prime position to where if he just is what we think he is, I mean, he's one of the best prospects that we've had at the running back position. I mean, a a Saquon Barkley level prospect. And the only thing we were concerned about was the pass catching. He's been used a fair amount as a pass catcher already, uh, has looked good in that capacity. So the the two things we're worried about with him is, is he going to be able to get a big role with Mac? That's obviously cleared up. Uh, are they going to re-sign Mac? That looks less likely. And can he catch passes? And that looks like a yes. So there's not really any real red flags with him. I think with these running backs, you know, they fall off quicker than we like and we even want to kind of admit to ourselves. And, you know, the getting those guys on rookie contracts who are producing right away is so huge. I think there's 
a realistic chance, um, depending on what happens once CMC gets back. Um, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott's having a great season, but there's a chance that Taylor is the startup 101 if mm-hmm. he finishes the season strong. Yeah, I definitely think that's within the range of outcomes. And you know, sticking with the running backs up top, uh, another thing you ranks that I saw people on Twitter ask. I had a friend ask me, and it was, you know, what do we do with Saquon Barkley's dynasty value? And I, you know, I was interested to see that you have him fifth, you know, which seemed to me to run a little bit high, but I, I guess I get it. So I, I do kind of want to hear your explanation for having him fifth, which really you know, knocks him down from second where he was, you know, pretty clear behind CMC, but he's still in that, you know, very, very top tier of running backs. And, um, and I think, you know, how you're evaluating Barkley also is going to depend a ton on your team situation. You know, if you're in a full rebuild, you don't care too much that he's going to miss this year. It's more, are you concerned about the, you know, the injury long-term, which, you know, ACL injuries nowadays, guys come back it seems like just as strong as before there's not too many issues so and i i can kind of see like both sides of the arguments so just interested in how you wound up with barkley at five yeah and i could see i have him just um like i i also have a value column in this um and i have him just barely ahead of of clyde edwards hilaire in value and then a bigger gap down to Devonte adams and i could see maybe sliding edwards hilaire up above Barkley, um, even as soon as after this week. So I, that's it's still a little fluid for me. But my initial reaction is that um, when Barkley comes back, he'll be still on his rookie deal. I would expect that the Giants will probably still pick up his fifth-year option. Um, they'll have to decide on that in the spring. If that, if they were not to do that, then that would create a lot more downside risk for Barkley because you know then who knows where he'll be in in 2022. Um, the ACL tear, like you said, doesn't tend to be like a devastating injury these days. It also didn't come on a play where like, you know, someone blasted through his knee or something. So it doesn't, we'll have to see, but I'm not expecting to hear that it's one of these ACL plus type of injuries that we saw Mm -hmm. with like Rashad Penny. Um, and if Barkley comes back, he's just such an elite talent and offers so much in the passing game that I think is very difficult to find with, with other running backs. So depending on how the rest of the season goes, I could see Miles Sanders coming up uh, into that elite range and, and ahead of Barkley. Uh, Josh Jacobs has actually shown in that, especially in that week one game, he showed a lot as a receiver didn't so much happen week two. So I'm kind of skeptical that I end up bringing him up into that range, but I'm looking for guys who have that elite pass catching ability and the running backs um, who don't, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to have in that elite range. And, and another guy like Cook, Dalvin Cook, I mean, if you're a contending team, then I could see, you know, you'd rather have Dalvin Cook than Saquon. But Cook has a fair amount of uh, risk here. He's not getting the full workload and the Vikings offense sucks. So it's kind <laughs> of like um, I'm loath to give away Barkley – for a guy who's not going to really help put my team over the top. Um, And then Barkley comes back next year. I think Barkley will still be a total stud. Yeah. I think there's probably a pretty good buy opportunity for rebuilding teams then, because I, I think there's going to be five to 10 guys that you could 
probably get Barkley four that are lower on your list. And you know, obviously the beauty of Dynasty is different teams are in different time frames so that you can make these win-win deals pretty easily. But I do see what you're saying with you know, if you're cutting off that elite tier with the pass catching backs, you know, you start going to the next running backs on your list and Jacobs, Derek Henry, Joe Mixon, like Joe Mixon, they haven't been using out of the backfield as a pass catcher as much as people wanted to see, you know, Giovanni Bernard's playing two minute drills and a lot of third downs and negative game script situations. So um, I think when you start to phrase it that way, you start to understand why Barkley doesn't drop further on the injury than, you know, maybe I'm even where would you have Barkley? Clients. I think I'd personally put him right below Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like totally like if I was a contending team, I would trade Barkley for Cook. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think mean, that's a pre- pretty, I think I would do that. Um, and that quickly. makes sense because you're trying to give up value uh, to me. I guess what I'm the way I would think about a deal like that is I'm willing to burn a little bit of value to continue to continue the bet that I've made that this team is going to take me to a championship. And that's fine. Like I, in fact, it's more than fine. It's the type of move you probably should be making if you're a strong contender with an elite running back. But to me, I think you are probably burning value where, you know, this time next year, I'm hope. I mean, some of it's hope, I guess, but I think my expectation is that Barkley will still be considered like a, a top five running back Mm -hmm. and come back really strong. And cook is like, he's only done it for one year previous to this. And then he had, um, he's kind of been a little bit shaky in terms of the, the workhorse role so far. And you have said, you know, quite often that you're very cognizant of, you know, what's that trade value going to be a year out from now? So with Barkley hurt, as weird as it sounds, there is less downside risk because, you know, he, he can't have a season to do poorly. Like he's, there's enough time that he's going to come back and be healthy, you know, barring setbacks or anything that doesn't look like it's going to happen. As you said, it's not like a Willis McGahee type knee injury. Right. Whereas cook, you know, if this season continues where Madison's out targeting him, which I think is just noise through two weeks. But if there are things like that, that continue and he's stuck in Minnesota, that just seems like we're, we're seeing a lot of teams forge forward more analytically minded Uh, the minnesota vikings are not one of those teams (laughs) they even i think kubiak had a quote about how their yards per carry is actually pretty good so they just need to run the ball more so uh there's a chance that dalvin cook you know i don't think he's a a fall off a cliff guy but there's there's a chance that he's like a second round startup pick whereas barkley I, you know, there's very few scenarios where he probably escapes that first round, just barring some sort of like unforeseen setback, um, which early on in the process, I, I don't think, you know, is, I think that would be a pretty low probability event. Yeah. I will say like, I, so I have him in a dynasty league that I thought the team was going to be pretty good. Now without Barkley, the team is not like, like it's gonna be pretty good. People are going to have to come with heavy offers if they want Barkley. Um, cause it's kind of like, I'm happy with Barkley to just sit out and now we'll have a good rookie pick and we'll be right back at it in 2021. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I haven't really thrown out that many offers for Barkley though. Cause in, in 
a lot of my teams are in pretty good shape and I don't want to kind of go with like a full blown, um, like you, you kind of have to take on a little bit of a rebuild if you're going to trade for Barkley, cause you are going to have to give up a big piece like a Dalvin cook or something. And that can be hard to do. So I wonder how much we're even going to see Barkley change hands because the, the Barkley owners are going to correctly want a lot for him, but it's going to be tough to give up if, you know, if you're it's, not in a kind of a rebuild. When we get a few weeks in, and I think if people have a better idea of where their teams are headed, you know, he's, yeah. he'll, and he's, he's got to be on the right team to start with though. Right. So he's got to be on a contending team, which is somewhat counterintuitive because they might not be contending in a few weeks if they suffered this injury to Parkway on their sport. <laughs> right. right. Anything else kind of jump out to you here in the top? Uh, I am very curious on, I thought you might move Deontay Johnson up higher relative to Juju Smith-Schuster than you did. Um, yeah, and maybe I should. Um, Deontay Johnson looking like the alpha here. Juju Smith-Schuster looks like the number two. Um, part of it for me is that you know Juju Smith-Schuster was a really strong prospect. He had just an awesome uh, second year in the league. Uh, he entering the season was the guy that we expected to be the top guy in the offense. He's had a longer, um, like a, a much longer track record with Ben Roethlisberger through two weeks, Deontay Johnson should be ranked above him in all formats, but it, I'm not willing to throw out what we knew going into the season quite yet. Um, I am trying to reflect what we've seen thus far. And Deontay Johnson, not a bad prospect, not, I don't think, to the level of Juju. He had a strong rookie year, but he hasn't shown anything uh, that, you know, to the level of Juju in the NFL yet um, compared to Juju at his peak. So I don't know. I'm sort of, I, you know, I'm trying to, to take in the new information, but also not completely lose sight of what we thought entering the season. So I have Juju here um, at 26th overall. He moved down. 12 spots. Juju's been a guy that I've been very high on. Uh, Deontay Johnson at 55th overall, he moved up 16 spots. So pretty big moves by both guys, but there's still a bit of a gap between them. Yeah. I definitely commiserate with the difficulty of balancing your priors on this one because yeah, I'm have to do it with DFS each week. And it's particularly difficult when you're staring at Deontay Johnson's price being too low and you know, everyone's going to play him, and you've, you know, you kind of try and stay strong. I think I've evened out their target shares right now, which uh, actually Juju's long-term efficiency is really, really good. So it still puts Juju ahead of Deonta, even with the same uh, amount of target share. So I, th I think you have it about right. I just thought we might see it uh, come to the middle a little bit more. There might even be some, I don't know, there might even be some sell opportunities on Deonta there if, I mean, he's a tough player to sell because if it, if it's real, what we've seen through two weeks, the ceiling's really, really big. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are buying into it. Uh, two other guys that I think represent a little bit of what we talked about last week in terms of trying to be early on potential breakouts, but not panicking on guys that we liked coming into the year um, at completely different positions. But James Robinson, who we saw go off last night for Jacksonville, uh, you have a somewhat aggressive ranking, you know, RB18 and, or no, I'm sorry, that's not RB18. That was James Conner. Um, RB22. RB22. So 
you know, somewhat aggressive ranking, you could argue. Uh, just looked absolutely phenomenal last night for Jacksonville. It's got in a workhorse type role through two weeks. Chris Thompson's getting some passing down work, but so is James Robinson. We saw him catch a bunch of balls in last night's game. And then the guy you have ranked right behind him, different position, um, but at 73rd overall is TJ Hawkinson, who, you know, going into this week, great match against Arizona, another guy I struggle with from a DFS standpoint projecting because I can't get him to project well because they're just the targets haven't been there and now Galladay comes back. So curious your, you know, takes on, on those two guys, I'm, I'm sort of like moving Robinson up somewhat aggressively and, but staying the course with Hawkinson. Yeah. Robinson. I mean, God, he looks good. Right. And, yeah. and he's getting so many passes. I mean, you're right. Chris Thompson is involved, but Minshew loves checking down to Robinson. Um, and he looks really good when he has the ball in his hands. Like as a guy who's also very high in LaVisca Chenault, it's tough because part of the the thesis with LaVisca is that he's he would get some of these goal line carries potentially, and he is getting actually used a fair amount um, as a as a rusher. I think he has eight carries through three weeks, but he's not gonna take goal line work from James Robinson. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, this just we just didn't know that James Robinson was gonna be uh, this exciting. I think with a guy like Robinson, you still need to be uh, a little bit worried that as the season progresses, maybe they do start to mix in a Zigbo or, you know, if Armstead gets back, they, they kind of start rotating in those guys a little bit. Um, it could be kind of circumstance that w- to why he's having just like the total workhorse role as far as um, at least early downs. But I don't think it's lost on Jacksonville that this guy looks like a stud. I would be kind of surprised if they were to make a point of reducing his workload. He's on this like super cheap UDFA deal. So he's like just like on a house money. Why wouldn't you just keep riding him? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think we want to be a little bit aggressive about taking him seriously. The it- checkdowns are the the biggest thing to me because – this is a team that's probably going to be trailing a lot, probably going to be passing a lot. And if he's involved in the passing game and looks really good in that role, then he should have a pretty high floor. Yeah. I mean, we saw all the catches that Leonard Fournette with no efficiency in the passing game got last year. And right. if even 60% of that's going to James Robinson, like even if you divvy that up between Robinson and Thompson, that's a ton of RB catches to be had there. And, you know, it strikes me almost as a buy where if you can find people who, are treating it like, oh, this is found money. Let me just lock in a profit and, and ship them off now. You, you know, those people are probably out there that they might go for someone with a little bit more name recognition. But I'll throw it back to you for Hawkinson, and then I, I got one more RB. I want I want to get your thoughts on. Yeah. So with Hawkinson, I'm actually a little bit excited for Galladay to get back. I think this offense has really struggled without him, um, and I think having Galladay operating as the deep threat alpha in this offense could maybe open things up a little bit for Hawkinson. Um, It has been disappointing start to the season though for Hawkinson. And it's possible that this is just a bad offense and Galladay steals what targets are available. Um, But Hawkinson was an extremely good prospect. Um, Like he was very productive in college and he's playing alongside Noah Fant who looks like maybe an elite tight end and he's out, you know, 
outproducing him in terms of receiving yards when they're both there. Uh, top 10 overall pick. So I, I want to be careful about just panicking about two weeks through the season, him not having a breakout when last year he did show the signs of a breakout when playing with Matthew Stafford. He was really strong for a rookie tight end, both in terms of earning targets and his efficiency. Uh, I don't think that the team is panicking about this guy. They let Logan Thomas go. Logan Thomas looks like he might be a tight end breakout. So they clearly, you know, if they uh, thought that Hawkinson wasn't ready to take a step this year, they wouldn't have let Logan Thomas uh, head over to Washington. So I think it's important to keep that in mind with Hawkinson. Be patient with these tight ends. And, you know, Hawkinson, I think, really does have elite potential at the position. He could be a guy that even a non-tight end premium we're thinking about is, you know, a, a late second, early third round pick in a year or two. Uh, I think he has that high of a ceiling. So I don't want to uh, let two weeks move me too much off of my position on him. I did bump him down, though. He went down eight spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, two guys that you moved up quite a bit, and I completely agree on. One is Josh Kelly, who you were already high on, I think, relative to the market coming into the year, and you bumped him even further. I mean, just if you were a Josh Kelly investor, just tremendous positive signs through the first two weeks, like getting the goal line carries, even getting some passing down work. And it's been close to a 50-50 split, maybe like 60-40 in favor of Eckler. And you know the Justin Jackson injury just removes a body there short term that just gives Kelly more opportunities to you know, stabilize his spot in the pecking order. So I really like him. And then we talked about Chase Claypool a little bit last week, and he hasn't had a ton of opportunities. Uh, and I am not the uh, hashtag, you know, watch the film type guy, but damn, has he looked impressive. Uh, I mean, he's made a couple absurd sideline catches. He had one really difficult catch week one in the night game, primetime game against the Giants. Week two had an absurd touchdown, like like a play that not many receivers make, he took to the house. The short-term volume is probably not going to be good just because there's a lot of guys in front of him. But long-term, you know, it definitely looks like the talent is, is translating to the NFL level. Yeah, for sure. I, I have Claypool 89th now, and um, you know that's a pretty good ranking for him, I think. like That's way above. I mean, you already have, have earned a, a nice profit on him compared to where he was going in rookie drafts. Just an absurd value in rookie drafts this year. We talked about Juju. One of the things that I'm also struggling with with Juju is that he's a free agent after the year. So there's only, you know, there is some real downside risk with, with Juju. If he ultimately looks like kind of a wide receiver too, having been passed in the offense by Deontay Johnson, and now he's out on the receiver market asking for wide receiver one money, it could get ugly. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about that situation. And one of the things with the Steelers is that they've got Claypool waiting in the wings. They're more likely than they were at the start of the season, I think, to let Juju walk. Uh, and so Clay, Claypool could be looking at much more opportunity next year. Obviously, he's not going to take a lot of the slot stuff that Juju does, but I still think they'll find ways to get him on the field a lot as an outside wide receiver, probably regardless of what happens with you. Like by the end of this year, I expect him to have taken over mostly for James Washington, maybe entirely. 
Uh, he he looks amazing, and and you know, you you say like you kind of have to watch the tape with it because it's on such a small sample size. But like he's destroying all the metrics that we look at. Like he's just like yards per route run is just like he's breaking that. Like it's all small sample stuff, but he's just he's he's popping in everything. Yeah, and he's this massive wide receiver. I'm really excited about him. Um, and I think the market in rookie drafts was was definitely slow to get on him. He was treated like he was in a different tier than Pittman and Denzel Mims. When when you look at the bet, it was he was the exact same bet as those guys on paper, and he was the biggest and most most athletic for his size. So he was he should have, in my mind, been in the same tier as those guys, but at the front of it. And he was going, um, those are all senior wide receivers. They, they have that red flag, which is, which has not been great historically, but you will see some seniors pop and uh, all second round picks. I think people, you know, like if I had Michael Pittman, I would trade him for tra- Chase Claypool straight up in a second, even though Pittman looks like he's getting in uh, to a bigger role going forward. Yeah. So there, I mean, I don't know if there's someone, anyone else you want to talk to talk about, like you said, a lot of decent sized moves in the ranks uh, with the injury shakeup. And as we see roles and very quickly see some of the younger guys, you know, what kind of role is going to take shape and if they're able to play uh, successfully at the NFL level. So um, definitely head over to establish the run and check this out, you know, to help with your in-season transactions. Where are you at on Antonio Gibson? That would be one. What was, I mean, the usage for Gibson in week two, I'm trying to pull it up real quick, but it, it was phenomenal. So week one was the buzzkill week, right? They come out, yeah. Peyton Barber sees the goal line roll. We don't see a lot of targets. It's it just a buzzkill. Then week two, Gibson plays 65% of the snaps. And not only that, Barber played one offensive snap, which is just strange and, and that's what's hard with relying too much on the early season data, especially after week one, you're like, Oh, this is Peyton Barber's role for the year. And then one week later, uh, we saw the same thing with Naheem Hines for the Colts, you know, massive role week one. And then in a positive game script week two, absolutely nothing, but you remove him, you get this big snap share for Gibson. He got 57% of the team's carries, saw a couple targets, um, had a rushing touchdown. I believe it was a goal line, rush touchdown as well which you know makes sense because if barber's not playing at all it's not like they're going to use jd mckissick as the goal line back and um those are the only two backs that played outside of barber's one snap so again you know we're thinking dynasty we're thinking long term so i don't want to like go crazy like oh week two was great for him so like super buying dynasty but it does sort of tell you that the team at least sees the potential for antonio gibson as yeah, I don't want to say a workhorse back, but like a somewhat traditional running back, which I think that was a concern coming out, which is he didn't touch the ball a lot in college. He was this huge playmaker, very athletic. Um, there are reasons to be excited for his upside, but there were definitely reasons to be concerned about if an NFL team would you know, invest the amount of touches in him that's needed for him to hit his upside. So you've moved him up 10 spots to RB19. That feels right to me, I, you know, behind Drake, behind Chubb like it's it's tough to move him above the guys you have ahead of him um but I do like being somewhat aggressive on him so I I think your rankings right on Gibson yeah and I I have him behind James Connor I would bet that I end up moving him ahead of James Connor yeah that was the one I was gonna say I I mean like if you're really short-term minded you can win a ship I'd rather have Connor just because 
I think there is a chance even with the week one issues that he's just this huge workhorse on a much better offense. But I think anything outside of this year, you'd rather have Gibson. Yeah, I think that's right. And I guess I with Gibson, I want to see it probably one more week. And then I could see moving him up. Um, maybe like another, man, I, I think he's got room to move up maybe or another six, seven spots. Uh, if we, if we see this role solidify, um, and then by the end of the season, I mean, if he can, what the thing about Gibson is he offers this profile of being like, um, kind of a discount DeAndre Swift in the mold of the Aaron Joneses and the Alvin Kamara's where, you know, he is going to be an awesome pass catcher, but still get enough traditional running back work where he can provide those elite ceiling weeks. Um, And that's exciting. That's like, I think my preferred style of running back, both because it does offer that elite ceiling and oftentimes it is undervalued compared to the Ezekiel Elliott, like every single snap type of workhorse running back where you're actually not giving up that much in terms of production, even though those guys are seeding snaps. Um, But the market tends to give you a bit of a discount on them. So Definitely excited about Gibson uh, so far, but yeah, I do want to see it a little bit more before I move him up any further. Do you want to get into a bit of discussion of rookie picks? Yeah, let's talk rookie picks because that was a popular question that we got. And I think uh, maybe not now, but again, in a couple of weeks, as teams realize if they're rebuilding or not, they want to know how to value these rookie picks, both in terms of buying them and selling them. And as I noted on the other Dynasty podcast we did, my perspective is a little bit unique because I'm much newer to Dynasty than you. This is only my second year playing, so it's only my second rookie draft. And I've seen kind of both sides of the strength of rookie drafts. And I looked at some rookie draft data from DynastyLeagueFootball.com, which you can check out. It's a really nice resource if you're a Dynasty player. But this past rookie draft was absolutely loaded. It was, you know, even if you had picks in the back end of the first round, you were pretty happy. It had a combination of depth and quality because we're talking CEH and Jonathan Taylor, two guys that are what top six in your rankings right now for Dynasty Startup. So, yep. absolutely loaded class. Whereas last year, you know, looks like we've got some hits with Josh Jacobs and AJ Brown and Miles Sanders, but you know, Nikhil Harry was kind of the number one pick. And if you look at it in terms of pure data, again, referencing the Dynasty League football, I looked at where the rookies went and startup ADP for their seasons. It's September ADP. And the first overall rookie that went in 2020 was CEH. His average startup ADP was fifth. Uh, the 12th, the last pick of the first round. So the 12th rookie taken, the startup ADP was 82nd and the median ADP was 49th for this year's rookie class. For last year's rookie class, the startup ADP of the number one overall pick was 30. That's a massive difference. That's like going from Alvin Kamara, you know, to a Mike Evans type. Um, And the 12th pick, so the last pick of the first round, went 105th with startup ADP with a median of 79. So that's the first thing that strikes out to me as being somewhat new to Dynasty. My second year going through these things is the, the strength of the rookie classes can change so much. And I am not someone that is involved in college football at all. So 
I guess, like, how do I know if it's going to be a good rookie class or not? I don't know if this is getting too far ahead and like we should just start with the base pick valuation, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind as far as a question to ask you. I try not to get too wrapped up in the early indications of how good the rookie class is going to be because it tends to swing pretty heavily based on who ends up declaring versus not. Um, And there's guys that seem like they're going to be these huge, you know, superstar type rookies that then kind of have quiet final seasons in college and don't end up being these stud prospects. After all, there's a lot of variance that goes into it. So while the general like consensus opinion on what the quality of a rookie class is going to be isn't like totally off base usually, it's it can get a little bit like you can think you have this awesome rookie class that you're buying into and then it ends up being not that great or vice versa. So I tend to view at this time of year, rookie picks is pretty stable. That said, it's especially tough to figure out what we should like, how we should look at the 2021 rookie class, given that um, we have all this stuff going on with COVID and uh, we might have a harder time assessing it. Earlier on, I was actually trying it that in that um, auction that we did, I uh, realized I needed to to kind of rebuild immediately, kind of punt. And I, I targeted the 2022 rookie class, thinking that there might be guys who end up staying in school a little bit longer and that we might have that kind of get pushed into being a star-studded class. But that was just partly because Davis had already gotten he'd already cornered the 2021 rookie class market so i was trying to figure out ways that i could find value and i thought hey maybe 2022 ends up being this like huge historic class because of the situations going you know everything going on in the world right now but yeah i mean outside of something like that i i normally try to view these classes as somewhat similar year to year and the picks is sort of a little bit more generic than maybe some others do the other thing is i'd say like you know, last year's class, the 2019 class, not viewed as a very strong class. But, you know, that class also did have DK Metcalf. Um, we also got, I mean, AJ Brown was just an absolute stud. The class was way better than we were told. So I yeah. think. Well, not if you were me and, and you just drafted JJRK Whiteside and <laughs> Andy Isabella. And- <laughs> That's true. The depth, it's, it was funny. I feel like the the move was to at the time was to be like, well, this is a deep class, but not like a super top heavy class. But it was kind of the opposite, um, where you have Miles Sanders actually looking great now. You've got Josh Jacobs looking better than we thought, uh, better than at least people like me thought. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting where I think we don't want to get like too too caught up in our pre. Um, like in our early evaluations of the class, because you can see that those evaluations end up sometimes being massively off from, you know, what the, what the class actually ends up delivering. And then the 2018 and 2017 classes was kind of similar where 2018, you know, that was the year Barkley was taken early. So he was sixth in startup ADP. Uh, it wasn't quite as good of a class as 2020, but the startup ADPs of that first round, they mirrored 2020 quite a bit in terms of the max pick of the first round and, and the median startup ADP of, of the sixth, seventh pick in the first round. And then 2017 was more like 2019, where 
you know, the number one rookie was 23 in startup ADP. Uh, the, you know, the 12th rookie was a hundred. So it, it does seem to, you know, it's not super consistent exactly what you're going to get. Now, as far as trying to put a value, so th- this shows you that there's some volatility in putting a value on future, you know, draft picks. So, you know, our goal is kind of trying to give you, I don't know, I don't want to say a trade chart, but like give you some idea of how to value these picks we're trading. So on average, over the last four years, uh, the average first round pick has been 58th in startup ADP. You know, guys that went 50th in startup ADP that were veterans this last season in September were Keenan Allen, James Conner types. So that's kind of equal to a first round pick. Now, the difficulty is a lot of times if you're selling in season and you're buying picks from someone, they're going to be contending and you're not going to get an early first round pick. And you start looking at the median pick of a first round pick the last four years, it was 60th overall, the max pick. So the, if you got the worst pick in the first round, this is assuming a 12 team league was 94. So, you know, guys with a startup ADP of 80 kind of somewhere in between the middle of the median and the max pick where Raheem Mostert, Will Fuller, still pretty quality players, but just to give you a gauge at what the first round has shaped out on average the last four years, that's it. I do wonder if you're rebuilding Pat, and you can tell me if this is a bad idea, but is there some equity in trying? I mean, normally you would want the picks sooner because, you know, present value, future value calculations. But is there some equity in trying to get instead of 2021 first rounders, 2022 first rounders, where you could see some of these teams that are contending this year just get bad injury luck and, you know, teams can fall off quickly. Then all of a sudden, maybe you traded for a really good first round pick in 2022 instead of, what's likely to be a back end of the first round pick in 2021, or would you rather just take the present value? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it goes to something I was going to say generally about trying to value these picks, which is that I like to kind of tier them in my mind and say, is this going to be early, mid or late? Because I think that value matters quite a bit Um, just in terms of your future trade value of the pick. Because sometimes when you're going in with these, like if you're rebuilding and you're acquiring a ton of picks, there may not be that many rookies that you want in that class. And so in some ways you're just trying to accrue value that you can then trade back out of later and to get those picks that are going to end up being early picks can sometimes be massively more valuable than getting a few late first round picks. So that is another thing I did in the, the quarantine auction that we did where I was looking at some of the teams targeting their 2022 picks. I was going, did you build a team that might crater in 2022 and not all of these teams are going to crater but you see a lot of running backs you see some fragility and you think hey this so could my, end up being a really team. high pick yeah so your team might <laughs> i think i have like four or five sets so no one should feel uh personally attacked here but i <laughs> you know i did i did think like all right if i am i gonna go like so sean siegel in that league did not build i think a very fragile team he built a, a team that looks like it should be at least decent through 2022. So I was less inclined to get like a set of his 2022 picks. I think yeah, I some of his 2021. I mean, like I have Barkley and Derrick Henry. You know, we've already seen the Barkley injury. Derrick Henry is just getting 
absurd amount of touches consecutive years. So 2022, you know, Barkley doesn't bounce back. Henry falls off. Yeah, definitely these teams centered around running backs, particularly, you know, fragile ones, which maybe there's some subjectivity in determining if they're fragile or not. They, like you said, they really can crater. I think especially, um, well, I, I, I was going to say, especially managed leagues versus best ball, but that, that could work both directions. So maybe that's not a good point to make, but um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's some extra equity in, in waiting a year. It's just kind of weird to, I think people probably value those picks last too. They right? do. That's a big you part of get it. Get them for cheaper. So maybe yeah. in a vacuum, they're not as good as the 2021 ones, but it's 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 a better upside bet because you're more likely to get an early pick and you probably pay less for the pick. Yeah, in that in that auction, I was getting like an entire set of 2022 picks for what Davis was paying for one 2021 first. So I've got... When I say set, I mean literally someone's first through sixth round pick. Davis may have overpaid for that 2021 first, but you know, there's a discount on that. Like that net present value argument is is something that I think the market agrees on and it makes sense. There is you're you have less time until you can even trade that pick because people people are gonna value that pick if it's a year out less than if it's you know a pick they can make in a week. Um so that's true. That value is going to take more time to really fully accrue, but you normally are getting that discount in the trades. And and sometimes I think it's overly discounted, particularly if your window is already looking like it's a year or two out anyway. And so it doesn't really hurt you as much to have that value in the future. Um, so yeah, I think getting those, the 2022 picks, I think can be a little bit of an edge. Um, and I think it's important to think about tiering them, as I said, even you know, for any picks, like if you're trading for someone's 2021 first right now, and it looks pretty clear that it's going to be a late first round pick, that really matters to me. I'm not going to trade for that like it's a generic first. I'm going to trade for it like it's a late first. And that's something that I might value more barely inside the top 100, that type of player. So a pick like like Devin Singletary or something, that might be the, the type of value that I'm a assigning to that type of pick. And if a guy looks like he might have a really early pick, then I'm willing to pay more for that. And one thing I would say is that um, you need to also factor in the size of your league because you're probably opening up a roster spot when you trade away a player for a pick. And that can sometimes have a decent amount of value and that gives you another chance to hit on a player through the waiver wires or through in a in a trade where you get, you know, you trade away um, a player and take on two from someone else with that extra roster spot. That has some value to it, and it's something that I try to keep in mind, especially in the shallower dynasty leagues that I'm in. It actually makes rookie picks, I think, a bit more valuable just because they help clear a roster spot. So that's in in really deep leagues, those roster spots are basically worthless. You know. Uh, maybe if you're like super loaded, that changes. But for the most part, those roster spots don't have a ton of value. But the shallower your league gets, clearing that roster spot can be big. And in leagues like the FFPC, where you have a cut down in the offseason that's down to like 14 skill players, clearing the roster spot can be absolutely huge, which makes you know taking on a pick uh, even more valuable. So that's just a something I always like to think of, like what's the pick worth in and of itself? And then adding the value of, clearing that roster spot to that. 
Yeah, that's a really good point because the picks obviously not counting against your current roster limits. So um, you're, you're getting multiple bets kind of by getting that pick, the pick in itself and the spot that you're filling. And uh, looking at other rounds, just to give people an idea, the average startup pick the last two last four years of a round two rookie was 124. So carry on Johnson, Jamison Crowder were going right around 125 this past September. Um, the average rookie pick of around three or the average, I'm sorry, the average startup ADP of around three rookie pick was 184. Um, you know, guys like Eric Ebron, Hunter Renfro went 175 just to give you some gauge there. And like you said, I know, you know, an Ebron Renfro straight comp for, you know, a late two or a third round pick doesn't sound super sexy, but there is some optionality there where if you get lucky and it's really deep class, like we just saw, you know, you know, Claypool was going at the two, three turn a lot, you know, who we discussed earlier in the show, but also and you know, it's value that it's value that, you know, is probably going to hold somewhat a year from now. So if it's an aging vet, you know, you might as well take the rookie pick. There are different things you can do. You might as well preserve that optionality and sort of push off the value to a later time frame. You know, assuming you're under a rebuild. Uh, of course, we're we're mostly looking at this from the perspective of buying the picks. I suppose. I suppose if you're selling the picks, it's it's a little bit of a different perspective. So, like, you well, have to add from the perspective of like, hey, I'm I'm selling the picks because I want to win now. Yeah, I do. I and I also say, I, in some ways, rookie picks end up being like cash. They're the most liquid part of a fantasy trade market. So having like, if you get a veteran guy, you know, like I, I had a guy offer me Devonta Freeman for a second round pick in one of these FFPC leagues. I turned it down, but it's a smart offer because it's like, hey, I'm going to take something I want off waivers or I drafted late and now this turned into something. I'm going to lock in this pick for it. And even if you were to get like a third for a guy like that, if you're not really contending right now, that's great because that third round pick can end up making the difference in completing a trade later on, being able to add that third round pick. Because when you take, when you say, hey, I'll give you Hunter Renfro, people aren't going to be that interested. But when you say, hey, I'll add a third round pick to this, that can sometimes move the needle. And just generally, it's going to help move the needle, especially if it's a, like a, a late second round pick, that type of thing. Even when you're on the clock in the third round, that can sometimes all of a sudden that pick has gained a ton of value because someone has fallen that shouldn't have fallen or there's kind of a pet player on the board and you can make a nice little profit by moving off of that pick. So I think that when you can lock in those little values uh, by getting third round picks for guys that you're not really going to have long term, I think that makes a lot of sense. And including the second and third round pick sometimes in trades can be a really smart move. The other thing I'll say is that this is sort of an advanced strategy um, that I would not recommend for like beginners to Dynasty. But one of the things that really struck me when I started playing Dynasty with Sean Siegel is that he plays super, he, he builds these teams that are super young, that are almost like rebuilding teams that you would not expect to compete, but they do compete. And part of the reason is that he sells all of his rookie picks. He has no future rookie picks. It goes to the MBV thing. He takes all of the value of his team and he puts it into this current year. But he builds in ways where 
He's got a ton of rookies. He's got, um, you know, it's not like all young players, but he has this core of value, you know, similarly to the way that I like to think about it, I think, where the value of his team is going to stay fluid. He's going to he's going to be able to make trades easily. And that's something that I've I've experimented with as well. And what you can do is you can take like a building block like a Dalvin Cook. Um, I did this in a startup this year where I have Dalvin Cook and I built around him. I have Aaron Jones. I got him before the, the Dylan pick, but happy to have him now. Um, and I have some other like it's a super flex league. So I've got some older quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and some and guys like Julio Jones, classic win now pieces. But around that core of uh, what I'm hoping and so far it's been a pretty good contending team. I have a ton of rookies. I've got CD Lamb. Um, I've got some of the other high end rookies in the class and I don't have any rookie picks. So this is a strategy that I've used myself. But credit to Sean Siegel for kind of opening my eyes to it. It's a really, I think it's a very effective strategy because one of the things about the rookies is that they hold their value really well. So you're taking a future asset, the rookie pick, you're putting it into the current year where you can actually get production out of it, but you're not taking on that much risk as long as you invest in the current rookie class heavily. Now you're actually opening yourself up to all of this upside where you can have a guy like CD Lamb rise like tremendously in value put up points for you in year one. And then if you want to trade back into the rookie class, you can, you've got the assets to do it. And you actually do get to assess. You don't have to sit here and speculate how good the rookie class is going to be in 2021. You can wait until after people have landed on teams, you can say, okay, you know what? I really like this part of round one. I really like picks six through nine. That's where I want to try to target and get back into this rookie class. And then, you have the assets to do it. You don't have this like super old team where you went fully all in to win with, you know, guys who are just a bunch of guys who are all going to lose trade value uh, a year from now. You built a fairly young team, but also one that's going to score a bunch of points. And you're able to do that by leveraging the value of all your future rookie picks. So that's a strategy where if you're newer to Dynasty and you, you know, are trading away all of your future picks, you can pretty quickly end up in like a desperate situation. So I would kind of advise, like, make sure you feel comfortable with playing a dynasty and you understand the value and everything. But I do think that that can, if you're playing a win now strategy, I prefer that to this idea of like, because I'm in win now mode, I'm going to be trading for Adam Thielen and Julio Jones and all of these older guys. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's not what you you don't have to do that you can still keep this young core and just have this this really filled out depth of of points even though uh you don't have the classic guys that we think of as win now exclusively yeah that's a really interesting strategy because i do think a lot of people think of it as this binary you know if i'm going to be extreme and sell my picks i'm going to go all in and try and win now with just a ton of present value or, you know, I'm going to buy and like totally rebuild. And that's like this really interesting hybrid. And I play in a lot of these best ball, really deep starting roster leagues. And it feels like it would be particularly effective for these leagues because the rosters are so deep. So, you know, if you're getting a lot of younger guys too and not overpaying for present value, you're probably going to end up with a balanced team that's spread out. And for best ball, that's good. You know, you don't need to know who the production is going to come from on a given week. And, you, you know, for deep starting rosters, you don't need a top heavy roster. So I feel like some of these startups, you know, I'll probably do another one or two of these next year 
that that you know as long as other people aren't trying to do it um you know that's a really interesting perspective i am looking at the quarantine auction pat and you know i got barkley here and i'm all in you've already got my picks so when this in-season trade window opens up buddy i'm gonna remember all these positive things you said about barkley's dynasty i've got james connor man come and get him I've got I've got Michael Thomas. We I think we can make a deal here, Mike. All right, dude. There's there is a deal to be made for sure. Come on, trade window. Let's let's open up. You know, you mentioned this best ball format with like a trade window and actually a waiver window. This is the first one of these that I've played in where you can't trade all the time. So I sent a, a message to the to the whole league, being like, I've got Connor, come get him, and I'm like I've got um, who else? I have someone else that. Uh, I think maybe Devonta Freeman or someone that it's just a clear sell for me as, as this rebuilding team. And I worked out a trade and then realized I couldn't trade. Yeah. I'm, I'm like torn on that, but we, we do have a lot of people who are just like, I really don't want to pay attention. So yeah. it's kind of like, let's have one week while teams have taken shape and it's just a frenzy, hopefully for that week. It, it should hopefully be fun. Like it's kind of like an event, like it's trade week. So uh, we'll see if it actually turns out that way or not. I think it will. We have the right group of people, I think, to have a good trade week. So I'm actually excited yeah. for trade week. But, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely touch. But we should do a pod. <laughs> we should do a pod about trade week, if uh, especially if we can get a Saquon Barkley deal worked out. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be moving him. So me, me All and right. my friend Ricky split this team. Oh, we came first in points each of the first two weeks, but yeah, you know, losing Saquon even in a best ball type format is, is yeah, it's tough. Well, the, the best ball that we did, the one that we co-own, we have Saquon Barkley. So I think yeah, that- I was pretending that one didn't even exist. I just like, <laughs> it sucks too because you know we're on a tangent now with a regular season best ball, but Kyler and Nuke are going to hit, and yeah, and it paired, just hurts paired with Barkley. It just hurts having, uh, and we got Lamb, don't we have Lamb too? Yeah, um, it. it it's just really hard to overcome that, especially the way we drafted. Right? I mean, we drafted. I mean, that, I think we drafted correctly. That you're just counting on getting the points from Barkley, but uh, it's definitely painful when the rest of your team hits and you do get the RB one injury. Yep, for sure. All right, but I think we'll uh, leave it there on that sad note. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Uh, Next week, we'll, we're still discussing topic options, but we'll come up with something good. And um, yeah, if you like the show, uh, please rate and review. You can find us on Twitter at Two Hats, One Mike and at Pat Corain. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.